Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Hey guys, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 44. The song you're listening to is by the late Phil Park under the band name Electric Swords, and the song is called Deep Space. So little uh, business to get out of the way. Number one, I will be telling comedy jokes at Laughing Skull in Atlanta, November 11th through the 14th, and then the week after that, uh, November 18th through the 20th at the Addison Improv. So come to those shows. As I've said a million times, it sucks to perform for zero people. But I will. I'll do it if I have to. Uh, so here's a little backstory on this show. Uh, I've been blabbing about this awesome show, Terriers, on FX uh, that my girlfriend and I watch. And uh, the, one of the stars of the show, Donald Logue, whose work I love, uh, actually tweeted me back. And so I was like, dude, come on, show. we got to promote this for you. And he agreed. And, uh, and then so I also had uh, my girlfriend, Jana Varney, come on as well, who's one of the coolest, funniest people I know, honestly. She... Uh, She's on a show called Dinner and a Movie on TBS and then also was a co-founder and producer of SF Sketchfest. Even if I didn't know her, I would say it is the best comedy festival uh, in the country and that takes place every January in San Francisco. So uh, you can go to sfsketchfest.com to see uh, what incredible acts have performed in the last nine years, if you don't believe me. Uh, and then you will see. Oh, I'll show you with the internet. Anyway, here is episode number 44 of the Nerdist Podcast with the sublimely awesome and cool don't alone. Intro! Now entering Nerdist.com I think we're, we're recording. Does Donald sound good? Do I sound okay? Yeah, can everybody you can hear us? How do I sound? You sound fine. So I for know. the first time in 44 episodes, welcome to the Nerds Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am Chris Hardwick. This is Matt Myra, Jonah Ray, Janet Varney sitting in over there. I don't know what I'm doing here. You're it's here. Beca- you're here. You're, you're here, and uh, it's... Well, you're here because... To give the feminist perspective. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. I'm here to make you all uncomfortable. I want to make fart jokes so bad. And I, so I plan to stand by that. So make them too. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our guest today is 
Mr. Donald Logue, who's here. <laughs> and I have to say it is thrilling that you're here because that means fucking Twitter works! Yeah. I went on Twitter, I, I started a mini campaign for your show, Terriers, which awesome. Janet and yeah. I believe is one of the best shows on television. Oh, thank Couldn't you. love thank it you. more. And I think, and, and I, I, what I'm about to say I know is the bane of your existence right now, and I apologize. When I saw the posters for it, I assumed it was a show about dogs. I know it's. I know people are confused by that. No, in a way, it's actually good to hear that to embrace it, and it might be good for every. You know, just to. Inst- it's it's just to identify the elephant in the room. And mm-hmm. The emperor is naked. There's a problem with that, you know, and you can dance around it or whatever. It's just like there was a, and I, I got a little busted by walking around saying it's not a dog show. It's mm-hmm. not a show about dogs, and it's like not about like. You know, whatever they had their their concept and they did it and, and and they always do really good campaigns. This one was confusing for people, so I need to call it for what it you know what it is. Yeah. It was it was a little funny on a um, a more kind of narcissistic level where I've always been on shows where you're not you, you've never been the beneficiary of like oh there's a bus that goes by with your face on it or whatever. <laughs> right. So yeah. so your my friends were like oh well at least when you're on an FX show that's the one thing that's guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> your, your mug is going to be everywhere, and it's like, well, there's a dog. <laughs> Michael and I are like these spots in the background, but like, uh, you know, so. so That's the why the star does not star the Jack Russell Terrier from Frasier, who I think people assumed right. might have moved on to. That's why I show. tuned in. I thought it you know, was going to be Eddie's like, show. The network president did say, like, well, you know, the, the most disturbing thing is that people have left actually during the initial viewings, Nielsen style or whatever, and it's like, well, yeah, because. The people who want the dog on the show <laughs> were attracted are to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're even, man. The I people th- that you want to watch the show didn't even give it a <laughs> nanosecond <laughs> worth of you know, these old like flyover state couples who were like, "I did not see one terrier on that <laughs> show. Yeah. What happened?" <laughs> but it, but it is a it is a phenomenal show, and and, and also the, in FX's defense, I feel like. I knew, and I'm, uh, of course, a little more savvy than maybe somebody who isn't in the business, but I knew that I wanted to look into what new shows FX had because they're, they've been making great shows. So at, yeah. at least in, in that defense, and, and, marketing and, campaign aside, like I knew right. I want to know more. And in yeah. defense of FX, the marketing side of it might not be the issue at all. <laughs> People might just be like, you know, you and Michael Raymond James, we don't like you. I don't, <laughs> you, guys, you guys have such a, you guys, uh, and... You know, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to slobber all over your emotional knob on the show, but but you guys have such an incredible chemistry together, yeah. and uh, and and the funny and you know, so when we first started watching the show, and I'm like, and who is this girl who's playing his sister? Like, what great casting! And I look it up, like. It's your fucking twin sister. Your twin yeah. sister is my younger, so actually great. my younger sister. Oh, I thought she was yeah. your twin sister. Someone had written that. Yeah, my she's uh, Karina, who was born in Methuen, Mass. Oh, nice. Um, it's very close to the <laughs> Yeah, my, my twin right. sister lives in Princeton. But it's funny because there was we used a picture of me and my twin sister, and then they superimposed the face of the actress playing her as a daughter, like the young girl or whatever. But <laughs> it was very odd. Um, but uh, you know that was. That was pretty amazing to be able to do. And, and what was weird was Sean Ryan had worked with Karina before he worked with me. He worked with her on Lie to Me and I think The Unit. And he and Karina was in the first two episodes of True Blood. Mm-hmm. But so they said, how do you feel about having a schizophrenic sister on the show? And I was like, that's fantastic. And they're like, well, how do you feel about your sister playing? I'm like, of course. You know, she's great. And so they're like, great, great. And this was before. The, this was kind of as the season was starting. And I said, so I can tell my mom and dad. Right, who are always like, what's, you know, help Karina, help Karina. Sure. I can tell my mom and dad that Karina's on the show, that this is all, and they're like, yes, yes, yes. I can tell my sister, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, I start getting these emails from people going, 
you know, these different um, actresses saying, uh, oh, I saw the breakdowns. Hey, don't you think I'd be a pretty good fit as your sister? I'm like, uh, my sister's playing my sister. And then I discovered that, no, they had to, they, it was open to casting. Oh, for, for the union. You know, just, just the network. No one felt We just want to see everybody. No, it's like, we you know what know you do when someone, when you do that to someone who feels like it's in the bag for them, it, there's, they'll never get it. Yeah. It's like breaking their legs right yeah. before the race. And so somehow, you know, she had to go through all that stuff and test for it and still won. Oh, my God. And oh, wow. She, That's great. But I was like, look, first of all, you're not going to find anyone better straight up. Maybe not even Meryl Streep as far as I'm concerned. Like my sister's kind of, and, and I'm biased because I've known her since she was this ingenious two-year-old. That was <laughs> funny as hell. She's incredibly good. And, and, and I said, How, who else is going to provoke an emotional response? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I said, God forbid, look, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to cast who you're going to cast. But if they suck, oh my god! No, that that char- those so kind limited. of characters can go so far, right, like right, south, right. so quickly if they're not. And she so underplays it in the most awesome way. Yeah, right. that was funny too because we're so busy while we're doing it, we don't know what episodes coming up and stuff. And so, boom! All of a sudden, it's like, ooh, my sister's here. Oh, it starts, and she's doing a scene, and and I don't know if we send her to the bathroom to get aspirin or. The guy's got a headache or some some this Linda's character, but so we go running in the bathroom and she's like, she's standing there weirdly behind, like yeah. it, tucked up against the shower, and I'm like, oh awesome, she's she's, she's embraced the character, she's, she's done her homework, she's doing something cool with it. Good, let's keep going. That's awesome. Now I don't uh, I don't I don't think I'm pretty sure we've never met, but when you were doing the Jimmy the Cab Driver image campaign for MTV. I was hosting a show there at the time. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which show? Um, the the uh, singled out comedy uh, broadcast. It was a dating show. I hosted a ridiculous dating <laughs> show on MTV. Were you doing it from from the? Were you doing it out of New York? Out of those? No, we were the only, only show that was at the time was based out of LA. There was really no LA presence for MTV, and then right. after a few years, then they started doing more and more stuff, and now they have this compound in Santa Monica. But it was really just. You know, like, we were doing the show at the same time, and then MTV had a whole set, and this was what was so ingenious about them at the time, and I don't know if they still have it, but they had a whole department that was just devoted to image spots. Interstitials, yeah. yeah, yeah the guy named Abby Trickouli. A- Abby Trickouli, yeah. yeah. And uh, and they had um, Beavis and Butthead, and, and, you know, Dennis Leary had done those with Ted Demi, and then of, uh, and um, Toby Huss. Toby Huss, Huss, Huss did the yeah. with, with Phil Morris, and he actually yeah. did a bunch of different ones where he was like a dude with long hair, and he's like, oh, yeah. good smell. Randy the Redwoods, yeah. too. They did Randy the Randy, Redwoods. Randy the Redwoods was more of that, a little bit the old older era but like yeah the beginning of that department so before there was anything like viral viral whatever before any kind of potential youtube or internet or mtv was really the only place you you could go if you you had these weird 45 second you know performance pieces or whatever they were so so did you pitch that to them or did abby come to you or how did you know what happened was um uh, my friends uh jesse parrots who who was a bass player in a band called the Lemonheads, and my mm-hmm. friend Clay Tarver, who was in a band called Bolt Volta. Anyway, my best friends from college in Boston. They always knew I could just riff in character and different characters. And then I'd come out here to ostensibly have some kind of normal acting career, which which I had you know I had a modicum of success. But they were like, "Look, the stuff sucks. It doesn't show what you can do." You know, then now you're auditioning for stuff that you don't like, and when you don't get it, you're mad. And and you know, so why are you doing this? Why don't you just come out here and we'll just we got you know, so we got a video camera, borrowed this guy's car, drove around and riffed, and it was actually Clay and Jesse who had the thought like, 
let's not just do this for nothing. Let's do this specifically with the idea of doing it for MTV mm-hmm. without contacting MTV and talk about pop culture. And it was fun. And it was easy because like videos were so amazing and they provided their own this narrative that he could dip into like it was all real this world and at the time you know humor was so not that it's changed a lot but at some point you're just so uh beaten down by how hip and ironic everything is oh my god yeah that like you know everything's about sergio valenti jeans or watching the jerry lewis telethon for the wrong reasons or you know like (laughs) you know like listening to like like uh mentally disabled people sing choir shit you know or whatever it is so like (laughs) i'm about to say words i just put a joke joke in my act about how i'm pretty sure hipsters eat with their assholes because they consume everything wrong like i get so mad like can't you just appreciate stuff i can't even say who it is but at some point one night there's a guy wearing Sergio Valenti's and drinking a 40 and a pretty wealthy New York dude and trying to you listen to this and this is like another person this person's you know mentally retarded and they're, they're here they're playing the cello and it's like at what point is there anything real in here oh. right yeah. and what if you took someone who was just a real like the weird thing is just walking naively through this world of hip, of incredible, you know, self-assured hipness, and someone who's so not like that, but is so confident that they'd be fine with him and okay. And they kept pressing us to do, like, somehow have Jimmy interact with real MTV land. Mm-hmm. I was like, no. I mean, first of all, if he, if anyone famous got in the car with him, he would just clam up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. We thought of something where, like, if whole, like, say, Courtney Love's band had a contest, like some viewer contest and you could go see Hole play live backstage at some big event, you know, um, that, okay, Jimmy can win this. And of course, like leading up to it, like what members only jacket to wear, what except, and he goes to it and I'm like, the the way it has to go down is he has to be backstage, you know, and, so, and, and just kind of be out of place and introduce, like just blown off and in some, in, in a bunch of stagehands ways, some guy just yells at him, you know, uh-huh. and he's going backwards and he trips over and he snaps the neck on Courtney's guitar. <laughs> she calls him an effing asshole or whatever. And then he goes in the bathroom and cries. <laughs> I'm like, this would work in our that universe. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in any other universe, it was like, yeah, he should just riff with these. I'm like, he doesn't exist in their world. Right. That's why he loves it so much. Did they try to develop a show, basically? Cause we, it seems you know like- what? There was a lot of that kind of talk of doing something at ABC. And then, and then we were going to do a film at Paramount. And kind of unluckily for us, some guy named David Gale took over MTV oh, yeah, yeah. Films. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we had pitched it to Sherry Lansing, who was down with the film, and J.J. Abrams was producing it. And um, and then David Gale, and because it was an MTV product, David Gale had it. He's, he kind of wasn't interested. He kind of was interested in making film mm-hmm. and not movies that he considered were from these kind of inferior MTV characters or whatever. And then he made Joe's apartment. No, that see, <laughs> the problem was he inherited Joe's apartment, so he considered everything to be Joe's apartment. And they would make that argument. I'm like, look, a human being like Jimmy McBride, with whatever backstory we've created, is far more interesting in the way that Ernest Borgnine was in Marty than talk, <laughs> talking cockroaches are, are, your, are, your, like, are your five-second joke that goes no further. Like, yeah, a human yeah. being you can mine. And it never, you know, and because it didn't happen there in a kind of, um, it was hard to do it. You couldn't really do it anywhere else. And it basically just, you know, went away. And maybe that's probably the best thing that that happened for it in a weird way. But 
I remember being frustrated at the time because, um, you know, but at the same time, it was a weird, it was a weird thing to be him because people might not remember, people from our generation would remember it, but, uh, you know, being oldies, yeah, right yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, there was a lot of heat to do stuff like talk shows as Jimmy McBride and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I would never have been able to do something like Terrier's. 15 years later, like, I, I always wondered why Paul Rubens would go on talk shows as Pee Wee Herman. I'm like, you're more, you know, that's a character you invented. Right. You know, what's fun is putting it away and being you and then going, like, embodying it. And and so, because I was like, you'll live and die. You know, you don't want to walk down the street in a bow tie and live. Yeah, but yeah. some people, and, and, and like, and, you know, I well, don't know. you're in comedy, so you know. You see that weird... I'm, I'm more on the stand-up side, but I definitely see like like in ske- like with Groundlings or you know like where Groundlings, which I feel is so like character-based, right? And I feel like well, because that's what they want to take to Saturday Night Live, exactly. Yeah. And and I and I think that um, but but for some people, you know, especially working at the UCB, where you see a mashup of improv sketch and, and stand-up, you see like I'm not comfortable doing hardcore character sketches because I like to be able to just step out of it and be like, no, I'm just me and I'm fucking around. Right. Some people loathe the idea of having to be themselves ever. And so I don't know if that's Paul's case, but other people at UCB, they will not go on stage unless they're a character because they just need, they just need that. Like, that just makes them comfortable in some way. So I wonder if maybe that's, that's part of what it is with him. But if people get to know you as a certain character, that's also something that happens with the public and the industry is they don't want to know that you're anything well, right. else. They, they don't, don't want to know yeah, you're anything but Well, that was the point was, like, they weren't interested in having you as a guest as yourself. Right. So then you're not a guest on anything. But the thing was, like, I can't, I, you know, you, that can't be what defines you as... A person. I mean, what what was? There is something freeing though about adopting a character, and it's kind of like this weird Greek mask that you hide behind, and then you get really super honest with everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, "Well, I'm, I'm just." It was all improv. Yeah. So I'm being very honest about some guy pouring a Dr Pepper over my head and punching me in the face. Sometimes when we put masks on, we're actually taking them off. Oh. We'll be right back after these. No, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but you know I. I I would prefer, like, the UCB style of stuff. And, in fact, Clay, who did, Clay Tarver, who directed the cab driver stuff with Jesse, directed some UCB stuff when they had their show. What show was they had a television show? Uh, it was show. just Uprises. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 And then uh, I can't remember what it was on. Comedy Central. Central. Comedy Central, that's right, yeah. And Phil Morrison was directing some, too. And oh, he was? Phil's great. Yeah, because back then I think Phil was going out with Amy Poehler. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so... And then, yeah, yeah. And I met Amy because Phil had, we were going to do this movie after the Dow of Steve. We were going to do this movie called Flying V about this guy who ostensibly teaches heavy metal guitar to these kids in New Jersey. And then Phil's like, oh, my girlfriend's going to fill in a bunch of roles and stuff. And it was Amy. (laughs) And you're like, God, she's got a lot of energy, man. Man, she's funny as a five-year-old. This (laughs) Phil's girlfriend's really funny. (laughs) She's amazing. She's the best improviser I've ever seen on stage, I think. I know I have so many improv friends, and I improvise, but I, the times I've seen her live on stage, I've just been blown away. But yeah. I love oh, that this about is from the, another planet. This I, is amazing. I think that's what's kind of cool about the improv world, and maybe this is against the character-based world or whatever, is, you know, that kind of style, that feeling is like that real joy of getting together with other people and being yeah. like excited by what they're doing and and um, and it's exciting to watch. And then the other side is this weird competitive <laughs> world, the super competitive world of comedy, 
that's just kind of nihilistic and weird and not supportive. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it's very di- – I don't know. I, I can only really do the stuff where you're in character and then you do monologues. Mm-hmm. Like watching people do a group improv that comes together and just starts to jam in a way that you can't anticipate is – it's insane. And it's really – it's kind of such an amazing skill. Yeah. I just, everyone, when you go in, you just hate that, like, can't say no crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the rules. I'm not, no, we're not walking into the laundromat. (laughs) Wow, this barbershop's crazy. No, we're in a golf course, and it's very sane. Your head's on fire. No, it's not. No, that's ice you're seeing. What? What? the opposite thing. You're my dad. I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Well, then scene. Fucking scene. But, yeah, I know with UCB, it's just, their thing is just... Is how fast they can figure out what they call the game. Like you, if you, you know, like when they're improvising as a group, it's just it's dogpiling on that thing that they know. Like, all right, that's the game. That's that's where we're all gonna yeah. start riffing around. And like some of those, you know, like Sean Conroy is fucking amazing. Yeah. And, and and they're so amazing in different ways. I mean, the 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 to be following the same set of rules. Yeah. And to see how everybody approaches those rules differently and how they bend and break them differently and the way they complement each other's personalities on stage even when they're doing characters. Yeah, it's, it's so, so helpful inspiring. for actors though. I mean, I was even talking to David Keckner who does, you know, stuff oh. over at the Improv. Oh yeah. Yeah, we yeah. love David. And he's so great and so we were talking and he's so fantastic and I remember him walking out just for improv, like when he walks out, it's no blank slate. He, if he's coming into a scene, like and you're, you're floating out and you're making entrances, exit. He has such a clear emotion going on. And and I was telling, I was trying to tell my son because he was asking me how to act and stuff like that. And I was I, I, in a roundabout way, I was trying to explain like how whatever fuels you, that's what's fueling you. Not not this really weird cold world of black and white dialogue because then you can start getting into I talk you talk and everything starts getting two dimensional but mm-hmm. like this real really make it emotional and then once the, once the emotions are kind of true then everything else that's coming or going doesn't really matter like even in I- improv yeah some people can say things that are incredibly clever but most of the time it's just the emotional commitment mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. makes me lose my mind and think it's brilliant you get, busted for, do- you get busted for doing jokes and improv like like real yeah. hardcore improvisers fucking hate it. it makes them mad when you come on and you throw like joke clever witty lines into stuff and they're like yeah. well now you're just trying to be funny yeah. and you need yeah. to be in the scene right, right. And exactly you're not in the scene yeah and it's a, it's a, that's a, that's an interesting thing because you mentioned game with UCB and that's sort of the number one rule for them but the improv Olympic is so about being authentic and being honest and taking your time that's kind of like in, in knowing a little bit about how the way they yeah, teach. Yeah, and the I.O. has, like, has Keckner and Pat Finn and Adrian Winner. Well, and, Beer Shark Mice is one of the and, most And Jack McBrayer. Like, I remember doing a, you did the Armando show. You've done the Armando right, show. Right, like, yeah, I did yeah. an Armando show, which is a, a monologue-based improv where, you know, they have a guest. With your people. friend who was on Terriers. With, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. With Jean and oh, Jessica. Yeah. Oh, P.S. Jamie Denbo, who's on we your love, show. Of course, yeah, Jamie. Just, I just saw Jamie today, yeah. We love Jamie. Damn, We've been so friends for years. We're about the guys, a couple of guys from Convoy are on the show. Alex well, Fernie. Alex Fernie and Alex Berg. The Alex's. Alex Berg, yeah. 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 So good. That's awesome. Yeah. But the, but those where you come out and you do a monologue and then they improvise around your story, you know, you, you have to tell authentic stories to give them thing, oh, things yeah. to improvise around. You can't come out. They hate it when stand-ups come out and do their act. Because they can't yeah. improvise around There's jokes. Nothing to hold this. Yeah. Not, and, no and even, even weird, like Jimmy McBride. I mean, whatever. It's tangential, but when people, and this is so odd because you can be like the nicest person in the world, and 
and everything is cool and you understand like if whatever misbehavior whatever it's like i get it he's coming from a hard place the guy's had cancer for two years you know right. he's going through a tough time comes someone makes a bad comic suggestion to you you want to kill him <laughs> you know? like wouldn't it be funny if uh, uh, please don't say it keep your fucking mouth shut no it's not funny dude and this is fucking why okay because this that this it violates fucking everything i you know and thank you for wasting my time by yeah. having to explain oh, that shit. all to here you. you come again with your fucking yeah. funny if you idea. have to if you have to preface anything was if uh wouldn't it be funny if that oh, is yeah. probably and then, not going to be? And yeah. Also, it goes along the lines, too, of, like, it's trying to be jokey or clever or quippy or weird like that, which always, you know, that's... But if you start from the emotional place, if you come from, you know, like, a, even those watching those videos, it would be like, okay, here's a serious story. Like, it's um, whoever whoever it is, um, you know, Axel's really going crazy. And he's and and he's got to get out of town. And now he's on an aircraft carrier, and he can't take this shit anymore. He's gonna jump off the aircraft. Whatever it is, if you follow some narrative and you really invest in it, then you can have something to talk about that's completely right. retarded because because it is what it is. Right. But if it's just a series of jokes and you know, it, it, you never go far with cleverness, really. I think. No, and and that's why that's why people who do you know I found my my, my biggest struggles with trying to do improv was that. I have too much of the stand-up gene, which is a very narcissistic medium. And so you you always want to, you know, like stand-ups are notoriously bad improvisers in, in groups because you always want to, you always yeah. have an urge to take control of the scene. That and was Robin Williams. And why aren't they laughing yet? Why aren't they laughing yet? Right. Why aren't they laughing yet? Yeah, yeah. and you're not, you're not. Robin Williams it. would do that improv stuff where they're like three people skiing. He's like, you guys go back to the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what, man? I've got the trajectory in my mind and I'm not going to hear anyone take me in another direction. Yeah. Well, yeah, he used to show, he would show up a couple years ago at UCB during the improv nights he and was. just like ask if he could play yeah. and he would just show up and he would do that a lot where he'd just jump in a scene and go, and now, and then it would just be his his show from there <laughs> on know, out. To be fair, to be was it funny? Was it good? No, but he would, like, the, the times he would play along were amazing. And just to see him be that quick and that, uh, when he, he was inclusive. He came from a good place. You know, yeah. he came from a good place. He always had a good, look, there's a lot of pressure on guys like that because yeah. they have a big comic moment back in the late 70s. And I remember watching this stand up on HBO back in El Centro, California, like, this guy's genius or whatever. And then after that, He's got to be genius every time he opens his mouth. And when he came by, when I was in college in the mid-'80s and he came by and he was like, we, we were in school in Boston, he's like, making a bad Boston accent and making 50 Boston, like, common jokes. Like, <laughs> like you all hang out on Boston. Like, we've never been to Boston Commons. Dude. We're across the river from there. Like, like oh, you like, read some book about, like, the place that mm-hmm. the main thing. And, and then they'll feel familiar. And I was like, God. And from the perspective of, like, a super judgmental college asshole, <laughs> it was falling flat, you know? Right. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to actually make the uh, 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 what was supposed to be a smooth segue, but it's going to come out incredibly awkwardly. But I was going to say that I love Robin Williams when he relaxes into a role and when he's doing, like, really great acting yeah. in a movie. And I was also going to say that that is one of the things that we observed about, just to mention Terriers, and also just really anything I've ever seen you in um, 
And uh, and I'm buddies with Kirk Fox, and I and oh, I yeah, was, yeah. I'm such a Kirk, fan yeah. of, of of your tennis movie of tennis. Oh, anyone. thanks. Which yeah. I thought and, was a good. We I thought was a good flick. I, I love thought he it. was fantastic in it. It's so good. And I was gonna. I wanted to ask you about that in terms of talking about the difference between writing and having a character like Jimmy, and then having a movie that feels <clears throat> so personal. And maybe that's because I know a little bit about right, your, both of you being totally, tennis players and how personal it was. Totally but, personal movie. Yeah, and your was, mom taught tennis in Nigeria. I read online. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My my mom. Yeah, with the worst grip system known to man. Like, whenever <laughs> she was teaching people how to hold a racket. It, but, you know, we're talking a long time ago. Yeah. So, But, um, yeah, I got turned on to tennis for my mom. And uh, I met this guy, Kirk Fox, who had played professionally. Um, at what, like, where, how, and at what level, it uh, remains debatable. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, I ain't going to press you on that final where you supposedly beat Boris Becker. But the yeah. weird thing about Kirk <laughs> is he, he could. Yeah. And we've played together, we've played a lot of pros, and when Kirk's on fire, it's like those guys have a hard time hanging with him, and he's a 6'5 comic, you know, great. But the thing is, of course, when, when the pressure was on when he was younger, when, when the job is to be a really good tennis player, he's going to self-sabotage. Right. But when it's like, I'm just this guy who's 6'5", and I'm a comic, oh, and there, I got way. no pressure to be the guy who, who's good here, I'll, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, it's like that for all of us in life in a weird way, like... To go on the Tonight Show and sing would be horrifying. To go on the or I used to do these things on the Late Show where I'd just be like the dude who shows up and I sing like a Lover Boy song and everybody's like jamming out and then, and then I leave and they're like, "Wow, that was great. Who was that, Dave?" And right. he's like, "I don't know, Paul. I've no." <laughs> but I'm like, to sing like that when you know you're just playing a joke on yourself, yeah, the pressure's off. So, but um, you know, the thing with Kirk too was he was I found very. He had come from this place, and he had been doing stuff with Polly Shore or something, where it was very presentationally, always, always pushing hard to make these moments. And I'm like, acting doesn't exist in, like, your your lines don't exist in quotes. Like, it's like you're holding your breath and yeah. you're busting this thing out. It's it's this emotional terrain that you're just kind of cruising over, and it's, you know, the the words are almost not that important at that stage. And mm-hmm. and um, I think it was a really good exercise for him that whole film and the thing about Terriers was there's there's I, I just did a job that was really goofy like some shark movie even after Terriers and I just kind of had to take a job and and I was I was worried about just acting again like showing up having lines and it required real goofiness and part of me was like you know what it may be good to get back to that but some of those things that like Acting is a very weird medium because, as opposed to stand-up or music, which I which I love and would probably prefer in ways, your sensibility could be um, whatever. Your sensibility could be Elliot Smith. That's what you love at musically. You know, you just like really smart singer songwriters, really kind of dark minor chords and interesting lyrics. And as an actor, that's your sensibility. But you're showing up for a guy who writes all the tunes for Ricky Martin and wants you <laughs> to act them that sure. way. That's how they're sure. a screenwriter. That's the way they like movies. That's why, And so you're like, man, and ain't your, you know, you know, and so you're, you're showing up. People have wild, wildly divergent tastes, which is also what's kind of cool about it because, like, on a show like Terrors, I have to say, <clears throat> weirdly, we were very well received by critics across the board. There's a couple. There's, like, some, you know, 
And of course, you get really personal. Like there's some guy from Orlando or something that like, hated it. And you're like, yeah, of course, because you live with your grandma and your cats. And you, you know, like if if what I did appealed to you, I would feel like I was doing the wrong thing. Like right. if the music my band plays is something that you'd like to listen to, then I right. think my band would suck. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like so. But you know, I write for the Tulsa Star Gazette, yeah. and I did not understand mm. this at Hate all. Hate away, sir. Hate away. We went to Tulsa on this um, weird promo trip that we did, and it was actually like we went to the Tulsa State Fair. It was fun. Um, State fairs are great. Wow. Tulsa played Notre Dame and beat them, which sucked last weekend, too. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so we, we you know – it's just a weird – what was nice about this, though, was – and I think there was a little bit of a fight because at first – and I have to say, like, in – and this really is for Ted Griffin who created the show, and um, he had written Ocean's Eleven and stuff. And I, I never was like I, – I saw them, but I, I, I never – I'm not attracted to super slick and cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, to You know, my, like, my favorite movie would be My Name is Joe, some Peter Mullen Scottish filmers. I like really kind of real life and gritty and – um, and, and so Ted wrote this, and, and it's his world. And, and the pilot, there was a lot of very super specific dialogue that almost sounded almost sounded noirish from the '40s, or you know, he was found whacked down by the pier, you know, like whatever. Yeah. It's like San Diego, which is kind of where I grew up. And and so as the series progressed, Ted really embraced writing more towards away from any kind of jokiness whatsoever, mm-hmm. more towards the more poignant emotional scenes. And and also for someone who writes films, because like people who even big time screenwriters, like they write these films and they're told to get off the set. Yeah. You know, they're or or people take them and rewrite them or whatever. But like when you're in television, when you create it and you're down there on the set every week, now you start to see like midstream, like, oh we could do this and they could say this and then you can go there. And it's this ever changing Dynamic, so it's kind of an exciting world. But he started writing more, I think, for the kind of emotionally, the emotional veracity of the of the show, which I think is the thing that surprises people the most about the show is just like, holy shit, I'm a, I'm a kind of tough guy, and I, I when when your sister goes back to the insane asylum, <laughs> I'm busting into you know, whatever it is, and it's like because it, it feels like pretty raw yeah. in that regard. So, and it's hard because when things are really when it's when it's overly clever, you know, and it's a hard thing because it's hard to write. I get it, but when it feels like someone's pushed their chair back from their computer with that, like, what a line! What? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and my sister's so brave this way, and I'm not in terms of the right. There was shit that we used to do where it's like, I see her. I've just her husband's d- dead, or I've slept with this woman, and it's like she realizes what I've done. And there's some speech about how you'll never finish the hole in your wall at your house because that's the kind of man you are. It's like, hey man, you pay us to do it with our eyeballs. We don't need to say this <laughs> right. shit. Right. It kills the moment saying it. Let us try it without dialogue. Oh wow! Let's see that's how much awesome. you can do. You know, because that's because my sister was always doing things like, I want to go back up in the attic. I feel safer there. I'm much safe. She's like you. You pay me to convey that without dialogue, <laughs> which is true. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like. My God, so. David Mamet would just shoot her in the head. <laughs> He's like the opposite, right? He makes it all about, it's all about the words, the words, the words. I think that Mamet. The fucking like, words. I think that Mamet, yeah. I can't do it. I mean, I can't, I can't, well, I, got I can't busted. espouse that belief. I went I to drama can't. school in, um, in England briefly, and it was like, it's called the British American Drama Academy, and it was kind of like 
National Lampoon Drama Academy in a way. Was it Bada in Oxford? It was in Oxford, but they had moved it to, they had a year-long program at Regent's College in London. And so I showed up like two days late, and my first thing is we have some drama criticism class taught by some guy who writes for The Guardian or something. It was Mm -hmm. so, I just came in at the end of his thing, and it was so arrogant about how, basically like, you know, English playwriting is genius because it's emotional and it's, it's intellectual and operates on these different levels. There are some decent American playwrights, basically like <laughs> as if you're watching gorillas oh, no. chanting to themselves and beating their chests. Oh, no. And like, you know, it's just so fucking dismissive of American writing. And, and I was like, I take exception to that, like in Mamet and this. And you're, you're, and you're just throwing those names around like Mamet, Mamet, sure. Mamet. And so then we go through the room and introduce ourselves. And the guy sitting next to me is like, I'm Tony Mamet. And, uh, <laughs> and you're talking about my, my older brother or whatever. Whoa. And he became a really good – he actually produced the tennis movie that Kirk and I did. Nice. Tony, we've remained friends. And, and so I hung out with his brother too, which was, you know, as a, as a kind of college theater guy, like there's no greater. There's like Sam Shepard and David Mamet. Mm-hmm. Right. And – it is weird because I wonder. I all with 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 David Mamet. You have to think there's an element. You know what? That's bullshit. Because his whole thing is um, a buddy of mine, Jamie Foley, directed Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm-hmm. and he goes, "It was crazy directing all those guys because they're all different. It's like Ed Harris and you know Al Pacino Jack and, and Jack Lemmon and Alec Kevin Baldwin. Spacey. Alec, oh yeah, and like it goes on and and, and um, Alan Arkin. Yeah, and so Ed Harris and Alan Arkin were kind of going there having a hard time figuring out what to do with this one scene and they're like well let's call David and let's figure out where we were right before this and where we're going he goes it doesn't fucking it doesn't matter you know the only thing that matters is the words right there <laughs> and there's there's an element where I'm like there's the people who are so into the whole methody that you were right. like no, I get it as a reaction to there's a but, bit of both, but you can't right. buy into that entirely because it yeah. doesn't work emotionally. But you need some toehold. Right. You need yeah, something yeah. more than just the word floating but in. But that's, that's what I think because <clears throat> on your show, which I would not consider a comedy, there are genuinely organically funny moments right. that come out of the interactions that you guys have. And I don't, <clears throat> I don't feel like it's too – I don't ever feel like that's too clever. Like when I'm watching an Aaron Sorkin show where I'm like – People don't talk that way. Yet I you love know? Aaron Sorkin. I know you do. I know, I know you do. I know. Sometimes it is good to revel in human cleverness. Like if you watch the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, I don't know why I'm spacing, but um, it was the play, and they did a film with Peter O'Toole where he thinks he's Christ, and um, I'll, I'll come back to it, but it's just so viciously clever and brilliant that you have to there's a little bit of I'm going to stand back and watch even Aaron Sorkin in the West like it's just the dialogue is flying but but it feels weird it's hard to deliver yeah Yeah. and you fight it all the time and I mean we did do you know those guys started writing on Terriers you know the kind of like the thing that Sean Ryan and Ted told the writing room was like don't try to write to be funny other than writing something that one guy thinks will crack the other guy up. Mm-hmm. You see or, that. You totally see that. Or we'll out. switch it where they say, are you going to visit me in prison? And it's like, not not for conjugal visits. It's like, dude, only for conjugal visits. <laughs> like, just, I'm just switching. How would we? Right, right. You know? And you're also like, I, I know, you know, any time we're doing a scene, it's like, I know 500 ways to bust up Michael. Like, if we could just float off book. And, and we were talking about that. Yeah, earlier. In, 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 in regards to the guys on UCB who are on the show because the really brilliant improv people when they finally act for the first time and they're tied into this box of words words yeah. on a page you watch these guys who are used to being like jet planes 
<laughs> so boxed into something, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's part of That's what you learn, you know? And you learn what what you do is you have to give the writer, you have to give the writer what they wrote. That's that's only fair do. And you have to find 50 different ways to try it. And then when everybody feels comfortable, then you're like, hey, can we try one just for the hell? And it probably right. it won't work. Most of the time it doesn't work, but like try yeah. one free. Well, it's good to have the safety net of, you know, the actual thing that was written. Yeah. And then from there, if but you have at, time. The worst thing is for actors is, you know, when someone writes something, you guys write, you put together, it's this, especially for TV shows, it's like this mathematical equation that's going over 13 episodes. Mm-hmm. And they're building all these brick buildings and everything's kind of important for somewhere down the line and to walk in and just go this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> this guy would never kick my character's ass that's like the kind of stuff you'd hear that about like Melrose Place like right. Jack Wagner walking in I'm ne- I would never get my ass kicked by a guy like that oh, God. or whatever it is I, I don't know wow. I, I don't know if he actually ever said that God bless him but like, <laughs> I can I can imagine shit like that of going course on that happens. right yeah. and 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 uh it, it's such a nightmare for the writers. They don't want actors near the writers' room because they want to manipulate the stuff in their direction. And you know, so uh, we had a good relationship with the writers because we hopefully showed them a lot of respect. And then they start listening to what you you have to say about certain things. You know, nothing nothing major, but um, you know, the show was freeing that way, and it felt like it's easy to act when it when you just rely on your own sense of humanity or whatever, it's not really that difficult. Did you audition for the show? Yeah, or did, did you just... guys know, and also did you know each other? You can answer both of those. Yeah, yeah, no, did they, you yeah. and Michael know each other before? I, I didn't audition for the show. I just met those guys and, and had a long conversation with them and they felt like I met Ted and, and Craig Brewer who directed the pilot mm-hmm. and Sean Ryan. <clears throat> and we all got along really well. And <clears throat> They said, you want to do this thing? I said, yeah, and let's start auditioning everybody else. And Michael, so Brits were the first people who came in and Michael was the first guy to come in, and we had worked on a show called Life together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we loved and he life. played a. Oh yeah, we Life. Oh, life. that was a, that was another fucking right? great show. He played like a. Um, he and um, Rachel Miner, who was also in the pilot mm-hmm. of Terriers, played this kind of weird murderous couple who had a museum to the macabre and yeah in L.A. and they you know where they had like things about serial killers and stuff. And so we were doing a scene, and I didn't really, I hadn't really met them. Formally, we just came in. We're doing an all-night shoot, and um, and I was just watching this guy watch me in the scene, and I was like, "This guy's, this guy's intense. Like he's he's there's something kind of unique about this. You, and you can, t- it's just his games at a different level. Like there's a lot of really good people, but I was like, shit, this guy's really good. Mm-hmm. And I was at the time um, adapting this Kerouac novel called Big Sur for as a screenplay. I got hired to do that. Also from Lowell. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> also from Lowell, Mass. Jeez, exactly. I it. Yeah. People are from there, Matthew. Yeah. You so, are the Lowell. <laughs> so he was a huge, you know, he was a huge Kerouac fan, and we got into the conversation. And the interesting thing is, like, a lot of people hate Jack Kerouac and hate the Beatniks because they don't, they haven't read his stuff, but they just know that they hate that whole style of this. Yeah, they hate <laughs> the people that love him right. rather than the making fans. their I'm own like, decision. Hey, Jack Kerouac hated those people too. That's why he wrote right. Big Sur. You know. He wrote this book on the road. It took 10 years for it to get published. So by the time it got published, he's like this old alcoholic, like late 30s (laughs) guy on the verge of death, basically. And then all these young guys are like, hey, Jack, man, let's do, you know, let's let's fight, let's fight. Yeah, exactly. And and so I'm like, you you know, but he got it. And so we we bonded over that. And then I saw him at this audition. And I just kind of knew that this is the guy you can run down the road that we're running down on, in Terrier's Land with. And I, I think of a lot of the other guys who came in who were fine, 
good actors and stuff, but it would have just been such completely different. And some of it was like some of the guys were kind of funnier. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because some of the guys were really big, but they were they were big, but not like like the guy's supposed to be dangerous. And like, well, he's big. I'm like, there's such a difference between dangerous and big, and it was just kind of a weird. It was it was. A, he had to fight to get it in a way he probably shouldn't have had to. Mm -hmm. But the problem with Michael was is that instead of Hank being like this much older guy with this really kind of 22-year-old fresh-faced, like uh, it's like mentor relationship between these two. It was almost like these two guys who were way too close in, in weight and feeling and vibe and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so they were, they were fighting against the casting a little bit. But you know, the president of the network was like, look, it wasn't the show that was pitched to us initially, but the best actor is going to win this part. So it's Michael nice to hear it. that. It is, uh, isn't it? That is. And it's really true. Is nice to you know that. what? For all the people out there who think it's all completely arbitrary and bullshit, it's not at all. You know, a lot of times the person you want to get the part just completely because I've been on the other side of the table a lot now. You're you're praying for them, you're, and I, or I'm reading with, and you're like, let's, you know, and they, and it's just like. It's a di the process is so difficult. We've all yeah. been through it where it's it lends itself to just sabotage, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people like melt down when it's time and you see the person who you think probably isn't ultimately the best for the job but they have their bugle stand up moment when it counts yeah. and, the fucking and they audition, win the, the audition process is such a different it's such a different to, muscle yeah. than actually being like actually well, everybody's also good. too there cuz like if I'm comfortable and I'm there like tennis for cur whatever right. I'm jamming but right. when the heat's on I'm like well that's the I think that's they invent this pressure cooker to put people and you're, it's, right. the, it's the thing it's like do that thing be funny do that thing in you a, know, a, this in voice you'll love it in like, a completely ooh. inorganic environment yeah. Angry and yeah. and also somehow hate yourself like not just hate the person who's I, I, putting I, I it on you but also hate I'm, yourself like I'm a shit I, what I, am I, I doing but it's so right on I love what you said earlier about uh, you're auditioning for stuff and you're not getting it and you get fucking mad and you're like well why wouldn't why they? do I care about yeah. this why thing can't that I, I be a about? fucking dude in space I'm that guy I'm that guy you audition for dudes from space I've auditioned for everything do you still do you still audition or do you yeah of course course you know like I did go through a long period in tell well I was on Grounded for Life for a long time and um, after the Dow Steve like I, I did go through a period for probably eight years where I didn't audition I would audition for films or I didn't audition for TV or mm -hmm. things like that um, I auditioned for this HBO pilot I did right before life called one percent a biker show and which I, I we, we did and I loved a lot but we they didn't end up doing and um like the, my, I don't mind auditioning at all because I also feel like, and, and you guys probably feel the same way. It's, you know, a they have a right to see if you're the person, mm -hmm. the yeah. right person for this, and and there's there could you know and, and if I feel like, I'm I'm actually supposed to go meet someone for some job, and I'm really like I'm not that I don't do this thing that they want done well. Like, there's a guy who can play. Like, I remember being up for something called MY70 that the guys from Life did. And it was to do basically the French Connection and do um, to do Popeye, like to do the old Gene Hackman part mm -hmm. again. And Donnie Wahlberg ended up doing it, who, who's a friend of mine. And, and I was like, Donnie's better at that. Like, there's a kind of thing, you know, there, there's certain parts that friends of yours, like, I'm like, he's, you know, to them, that's their cloak. Mm -hmm. that, that's easy for them to put on and let them run with it. So... If you act, just get used to auditioning and embrace it. Because if you pray you don't have to, you're going to get 
Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, we just watched Saw 2 the other day, which Donnie Wahlberg is fucking awesome in. He's, he's so a, good. I know, I mean, like, I don't know if he would, I don't know, whatever. He's great. He's phenomenal Yeah, the Saw stuff was hilarious because I think it was just so f- successful that he yeah. couldn't. And they were like, he's the only guy that they bring keep bringing back or whatever it yeah. was because he survived. and. But he's like, you know, at some point you just, it's too much money or whatever it is to walk away from and. <clears throat> But uh, he's doing some show. He's doing a show called Blue Bloods in New York right now. Oh, yeah, Blue Bloods. I remember about that. With Tom Selleck's mustache. <laughs> yeah, Tom's on that. Tom Selleck's on that. No, Tom, no, just, just I just mustache. said Tom like I know him. <laughs> no, Tom's on that show. No, Tom. But it's <laughs> weird because, you know, Terriers is like, it just feels like one of those, there's a lot of those things where I just can't myself, and they're all, you know, they're friends and, and they're doing these shows, but there's there's so many of them where you're like, God, dead bodies aren't dead bodies and <laughs> danger isn't danger and cleverness. It's just, it feel, I, you just feel so fraudulent that you just feel like you can't do it. Like it can't even come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and the thing is people respond to that stuff. They love that shit. And I don't know, you know, and maybe it's just super comforting for them to have certain shows like that but it's all it's all this or it's sort of all that world or it's all well and i mean listen i think you know i think at this time in, in human history we are more inundated with data at all points all the time and right. so i think just a coping mechanism for people is that they just need to shortcut things and so if they you know if they instantly know like you know whatever this you know, there's a there's a crappy sitcom on, but I know exactly what it is, and right. I know what to expect. Right. I don't have to do it's any comforting. work. But what's funny about what what's, what you want to explain to people about Terriers, at least from my perspective, is in terms of, like, maybe if they don't know where it fits into that, is that what I like about the chemistry, particularly between you two, but about the whole show, is that you really get this sense. The writing's great, but you still get this sense that something's happened right before the scene that you pick up as a viewer watching and that something's going to continue happening afterwards. And I feel like that's really hard to do, to have good writing and good acting and feel like, I feel like I'm picking you two up in, in the middle of a conversation. Like, you've, you've already, like, like, you guys are referring to something with your eyes. Well, because we that know has each just other. Happened. It's kind of, you know, it's creepy. Like, it's like this weird, creepy, symbiotic thing where we were very close we got the part and two things were happening one was we were like fully aware that it's a huge gift to be able to have a show on the air that you're given the reins especially two guys who have to run in every scene with it it's like you know they're giving you this whole forum for you guys to do this thing so we weren't going to take it lightly we actually rented a house down in san diego together and lived together and worked on this 24 7 and you know, we were super prepared. And when people would show up and they were like, well, you know, they had the script for six days and they were, I don't know, I'm a little loose on it. It's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> we had eight pages to well, do and there was no problem, man. It like, it shows. was like we were kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Like, In the pilot I, I think shows. people were a little like, whoa. I guess you guys are serious about this or something. Shit. Yeah, so well, after I saw the pilot, I was like, I feel like the show has always been on. And I've, I never say that well, about pilots because we the actors at, and the characters are like, who, what? Yeah. Jamie was someone, like, that was because I auditioned with everyone. Jamie was someone I had worked with before. And I auditioned with everybody for a couple of weeks. So I read with hundreds of people. And so by that time, I felt very comfortable doing scenes with everybody that I was doing scenes with on the pilot. And then Michael and I had this kind of rapport that was deep, you know. And so um, there was something about it. And I was like, I wonder if this is an interesting experiment in this way. Because 
I wonder if these intangible elements that you really do internally believe add something to something is something that can be picked up on by an objective viewer, which I guess it was. I mean, it's not doing well ratings-wise, but the one thing was like people like, whoa, man, that's some heavy-duty chemistry between people. Or I hope they give it a... I, ho I just hope that they recognize the inherent value of the show, and I, I just hope they give it a chance. Well, that, the weird thing is FX, FX more than anyone recognizes the value of the show. I mean, they're huge fans of it, like John Landgraf or Danielle Woodward, all, these, all the executives from FX were always in touch with us about, like, just want to send you an email, saw the dailies from yesterday. This is long before the show airs, you know, and, like, wow, inc you know, we look forward to the dailies here more than anything. It's incredible. And, and so they're always been supportive. The difficult position they get put in as business people is yeah. their, their boss is saying, what's what what's with this like you can't have the a sentimental the advertisers are mad or yeah you know it's like it's just a, it's a it's a job and and you know they're aware that's probably the kind of show too that if it doesn't survive that people will say wait a minute mm -hmm. like I, I just got turned on to this this is what happened what happened was you weren't there from the get-go and when people needed you or however nielsen works or but you know i i, I can't say that they haven't been incredibly fair and supportive and they're not super rooting for it as we speak you know and they helped us put together this weird tour michael and i did uh this cross-country tour we were trying to like raise <laughs> oh, who awareness was, I talking about that? was it maybe it was nick crawl someone was it nick is someone from the league who oh yeah we ran into them in chicago yeah yeah oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 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 steve and all them yeah yeah and they're 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 cool, man. That's a good group of people. It's a great know? it's a, it's a great group. Yeah, I knew Steve from before, but like uh, really cool, really nice, and you know whatever. That was fun. We ran into them in Chicago, and and uh, so. I mean, I just think I think I think I honestly, and you know, that obviously not paying me to say this, but I think FX is fucking killing it right now with shows like between you know your show and the league and, and Louis. Justified and Louis C.K. Well, show. Damages was damages, one of my like, all-time favorites. They, like, they are, and they, they believed in that show. But that's it too. So damages hard. was the same thing. They gave thing. it more than they could have, you know. The, and they felt like damages well, damages so is probably a little less than our show though. If you came in in the middle, it's a little confusing. Yeah, you're screwed. Right. It's but, so serious. Um, it was so brilliant and the guys who did it, I were but you know, this guy Dan Zellman and the cast brother like Dan was one of my best friends in college and I did a bunch of plays with him and like the greatest actor uh, like t actor schmactor stuff like that guy was the god, god actor of all time and married Deborah Messing and I think after Angels in America and some plays he did in <clears throat> New York he's such a tortured artist as an actor he's like I, I'm not doing it anymore and he went into writing luckily for damages and stuff but the guy is no one knows they're like who's the best actor you ever worked with like yeah. oh your boss Daniel like what <laughs> Dan Zellman the, the executive producer guy it's like wow. the guy's a friggin man <laughs> um, and I love it too like you're talking about watching Amy or people work like I, oh, I remember so doing plays with all these people coming up or even you know scenes and film and stuff and you're like man I'm so jazzed by it. look at what this I just did this movie with um called Oliver Sherman up in Canada, this tiny indie three, like myself, Garrett Dillahunt, and Molly Parker. Mm -hmm. And it's about two vets. Yeah. And it was incredibly emotional, <clears throat> very restrained emotional thing. And, and also something happened to me. I don't know what it was about some scare with my kids or 
something a couple of years ago, but I was like, I don't have a funny bone in my fucking body anymore. And I'm not into goofy shit. I'm not into like, the only thing I'm interested in doing is this adult style world in my brain. But we did this movie and this guy, Garrett Dillahunt, who people, you know, he's on Raising Hope now. Yeah, okay. he's brilliant. He was on. He was on life as the Russian as the Russian bad guy. You know, I mean, I have a friend who follows everything he does because he he is brilliant. And I was sitting across from this guy doing scene after scene, just mes. I'm just like, man, this is awesome. Uh, What you know, just thinking, it is awesome what you do, and it's cool to be like, it's it's cool to feel that way about the people you're working with. You know, Um, and, and Terriers had a lot of that. Like everybody's game got really stepped up and it was kind of a thrilling environment and the sad thing is and it's so selfish but like you know this group of people because we're all like circus people who have these different traveling circuses we have like 170 people that you work with 16 hours a day everybody's marriages are in in trouble because (laughs) they're never home everybody's in shit so you have each other and you're like and this is their you know there's not much filming in san diego this is their gig if the gig goes again next year everybody the kids are in school everything's cool and if it goes away yeah so they're going please like oh thank you so much for driving around the country in a bus and trying to promote the show like you know to keep it going but um at some point though you know it's like well the work was dignified the other shit is not that dignified begging people to come watch a show you know it's all the other stuff i mean it's like it's stuff you know that i I feel like i have to do on the podcast or stuff with my stand-up where it's like no you gotta market (laughs) you have to learn it's like i didn't want to be a marketer i didn't didn't." because the people do jettison themselves to such incredible positions of power where not this power but they have a platform to make what they want to happen happen. I guess so. When you, I, but it feels like the most talented, the people with the big hearts, they just can't do that because they feel whorish about anything that they do in that realm. I, I always, I, I mean, listen, I promote my own shows on Twitter and I swear to God, see, Twitter, every time like, I gotta, do it, I feel guilty about it. We got on Twitter, like my friend was like, you gotta get, I wasn't on Twitter and I don't, I only, you know, I started, I was like, oh, man, I got 100 people. <laughs> I got 200 people. You know, and there's people, millions, you have millions of people. And it's like, but it was such, you realize, like, what a powerful tool it is. People would, people coming to the Chicago event were like, I came because I saw a retweet about, and you're like, okay, man. Well, you have no idea. Like, when I when I was tweeting about your show, and then you tweeted back to me, like, hey, thanks for supporting the show. Like, I showed Jen. I'm like, hey, Donald tweeted me. Like, that never would have happened in with any other s- social networking It was such tool. a fast, w- I mean, really, going from, like, I said, me saying, oh, oh, I really wish that you could, you know. I said, like, I got on this crusade, you know, like, I, I want to help the show. I don't know if I but can, see, but I want to try. But that was amazing. Like, I, we were, like, talking about it, because we were on the bus, and my friend Steve's kind of the one who's Donnie's friend. And he's like, Donnie's got 250,000 people. He, he's doing this Twitter stuff all the time. It's helpful, man, because they would do club appearance, whatever. It's kind of a different world. But so he was like, hey, look at this guy, you know, like meaning you. Mm-hmm. And and maybe this woman, Diane, who did the surf report or a couple of people who do blogs, the entertainment blogs. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, writing just the best, most superlative stuff about the, the show. And it was like, hey, thanks so much for the support because, you know, we can't – you can – one thing that you say is reaching so many people immediately and who are checking in all the time. It's so important to us. Like this kind of, this is it. You know, this this is the, how people reach people now. And, and um, 
to blow it off is kind of foolish, you know? No, it's 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 great. And I, I don't have any problem. Like, I'll tweet about your show a hundred times. I always get self-conscious about stuff. tweeting my own stuff where I'm like, we all I'm are. sorry I have to do this, you guys, but I need to promote my thing right. now. But, um, but it's crucial. It is. It is. But I do. I feel it feels very weird because, of course, you would just want to be like, I do my thing. Yeah. You see, yeah. You see what I do. I don't. Yeah. I'm not. I, I'm not offering a Burger King Happy Meal with it, man, or whatever you know. <laughs> no, but just, like, you know, it's just, just in the garage, just, making it. Another side of it. Like, if you want to, I mean, you know, I feel like stand-up is the most distilled representation of how the business works. If people show up to your shows, you can it's perform. Working, though, yeah. And so it's you know it's like on a broader sense. Now like, Kirk said it's getting it's harder right now. I don't know if that's. Well, it's harder in the sense that there are less comedy clubs. I mean, there are less there are less comedy venues and a lot of comedy clubs. You know, like when the recession hit, the recession just crushed. Co- comedy it. clubs yeah. are the first. You know, like some of the first things to get hit because they're expensive and they're sort of a luxury and it's it's something people do when they have extra money and they're like. And people would argue you the other. And people would say, well, yeah. it's. Comedy club people want to laugh and the, you know, but it's they not gotta true. They'll they watch be able their to movies to at home that they have. Well, that or they or they'll save it. They'll, the they'll save it for like the handful of people coming through town that they know. Like if you know if Jim Gaffigan blows through town or right. you know or someone or, or Pat Oswalt. So. By the way, how amazing is it? Like the the world doesn't know, like guys you've never heard of are making massive livings <laughs> singing the penis song to 40,000 people or whatever. I was like, who? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, I'm flying on this private jet to this thing to do this for 80,000 people. That's how I am I'm about like, Vegas. Who? Like, what? what? Vegas? Like, these people are making millions and I've never, like, I didn't know who Jeff Dunham was for the longest time. Well, you could always, listen, if you would do yourself a favor if you could unlearn that. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, racist puppet. Oh, I'm a puppet. Oh, please, no, come on. It's possible I I've still never actually seen him do anything. I just became aware. What about Yakov Smirnoff? Is he still running? He's in Branson, Missouri. Yeah. Is he still Bran- Oh yeah, Branson. Well, because it's funny. I, I just had a talk with Weird Al about that the other day because Weird Al tweeted something out about like he he made a reference to Yakov Smirnoff. So like, funny. And all these people were like, "Come on, man! Yakov's doing a theater." And I think Yakov tweeted him, and he was like, "Oh my oh, god, geez. I didn't mean to open this, open this can of worms." It's yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. BJ Novak, he said one of my favorite jokes about Yakov Smirnoff. He's all, "I just recently met Yakov Smirnoff's wife. What a con!" <laughs> <laughs> BJ oh Novak. Um, so, <laughs> my last, <laughs> like, I have two quick things that I want, and then we're at the hour, and I don't want to dominate too much of your time. But uh, first of all, do you? I guess at this point you have a pretty good internal barometer. If you're doing a scene, I, I don't know. Do you have anything that kind of goes off that's like that was a solid scene, or do you are you hard on yourself, or when you watch stuff afterwards are you like, oh that that actually went was looks better than I that turned out better than I thought it was gonna? Like, what's your internal what's your internal measurement system? I think I think it's pretty. I think it's it. I think you can tell fairly well when it's. I think I know for the the barometer is kind of in tune with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I do I do love it though when like you're working with someone really good who there's this guy named Alan Taylor who's a genius director who directs a lot of the, the Sopranos and stuff and he's like I know what you're trying to do and I can only imagine what it feels like in your heart and mind. <laughs> and, oh no! And, dude, and, and I love and, and, he, and it's fine because you know he loves and supports you and yeah. you're not conveying any of it. <laughs> oh, no. And you're like, that's okay. a great note. I, yeah, yeah, I got thick skin. I got it. I, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You, is it coming through telepathically or not or whatever? I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that's fine. It's like, um, and better that way than someone's like, uh, how do I put it in terms of colors to you? Right. <laughs> I'm not an airy, fairy, weird, elfish. Right. Like, you know, just 
friggin' what do you want? What yeah. do you want? Or just not say anything and be like, I guess that's the best we're going to get and yeah. not have, you know, not Sometimes, you know, the forward. weird thing is like funnier, faster is a good note. Yeah. And like yeah. people go, I hate it when they say it fast. I'm like, no, it's good, dude, because the pace needs to get picked up because <laughs> it's fucking dying, you know? And then there's this one guy, God bless him, uh, we were doing this movie with this dude. Terry George, this uh, who wrote Hotel Rwanda and all okay. these, you know, and some other son. He was, and he was an IR, you know, he had been in prison for eight years for kind of suspected IRA involvement. It was more just he was one of the guys from the neighborhood, but he's such a great guy. And we were doing this film, and he was like, no, 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 it's this, it's that, you know. He's trying to get through this actor, and the guy's like, what do you want? You know, you want it bigger, weirder? He goes, I want it fucking real. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Clearest direction I've oh, ever yeah. seen of a yeah. scene. Yeah, man. How about that one, dude? Making it real. But, um, no, it's fun. You know, the fun thing, too, is who knows what's going to happen with Terriers. I would love, of course, for it to continue. And I think people will enjoy it. And they'll probably enjoy it even like a 13-part miniseries or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the adventure kind of hopefully continues. You know, it's just like it's fun to do a bunch of different things. It's fun to do like Jimmy McBride little one minute interstitial improv things it's fun to do big movies and you know cheesy dramas and you know but but what it is gets harder is to do stuff that feels like it's not compromised or super contrived or you know which is what's nice about i i, I don't know because stand-up strikes me as that but although you may find that you may feel that way in stand-up too sometimes that it feels contrived yeah i mean you know it's there's a certain art to when you first start doing stand-up, you're like, you kind of, you get this gladiator mentality. You're like, I'm never gonna do the same fucking bit twice. And you realize there's a there's a genuine art to crafting and finding jokes and figuring out like what you're trying to say. Yeah. And then you, and then there's a whole other part of the evolution when you start doing an hour of the jump from 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour is insane. And then you you really start to realize like. I never realized I needed to express all of these points, but somehow they've leaked into you know like. I write jokes about the South. I never was a guy who was like, I'm Southern. And, you know, right. here I am just talking about these things that just needed to get out. So, yeah, right. sometimes it feels contrived. And you're like, am I really going to do the this laser vagina joke again tonight? But then you kind of just go like. <laughs> and, yes, there is one. <laughs> there is a laser be? vagina joke. It's a, that's that's a, that's a specific reference. But it, I, I guess so. But the minute, the minute you can't, the minute you can't, Express it from a like a like a real place. I think is the minute people just kind of like shut down because that's, they're like that's, that's inauthentic that's now. The act, then that's it. That's like take after take. Like if you can find the emotional connection between the material, then you're you're allowed to do whatever you're allowed to do. If it's just by rote, after that, then you. But I know I, I tried stand up a couple of times, and the only time it was successful is if you go up and don't know what you're going to say at all. <laughs> and then I've if you tried go up, that once or twice. I've done that <laughs> once and it worked kind of okay until I went back. They said, come back the next night. Yeah, cool. And I was like, what Uh-oh. did I talk about? <laughs> and I was like, who's up right now? And they're like, Chris Rock. And you're like, there's no fucking <laughs> I'm trying to say what I said when I was free. Oh, yeah. Well, last guy was really good, wasn't yeah. he, folks? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Who? Yeah, exactly. Dude. Who was that? Stank up the joint. Yeah, but I have so much respect for that. That is the art form. Because, I mean, even pre-microphone, all you need is you standing there and people on a plastic chair get transported anywhere through storytelling. Chris Rock is one of those, like, hardcore, like, Louis C.K. was telling me that... You know, like driving to a gig, 
he's like, why are you listening to the radio in the car? You need to be focusing yeah. on your oh, material. Wow. You need to be focusing on what you're doing when you get there. He just talks about like not even listening to anything when he's in the car. So that's a time where you can just think. That's a time where you can think. Like yeah. it's it's all this really intense. But and what if that go, makes somebody else go crazy because they yeah, need to be removed because they need to be on a roller coaster before they go to his mind. Everyone's he's got his intellect and he's different, and he responds different. He might want to just have listen to some music pregame, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, but that's but that's the thing that I was going to say I love about all three of you guys because you're all such great stand-ups um, is that what my biggest pet peeve with stand-up and I don't do stand-up is is that inauthentic that sort of inauthentic like you get the sense that somebody was in their car on the way going who is who am I who's my stand-up persona <laughs> and it really can't. is you, so uncomfortable you smell it you feel it you taste uh, it you know, yeah, and, and, the, when and the and vibe is dark too sometimes just, between but like even Kirk like I would you know I might have push him in the wrong direction but my friend starts stand up he'd, he'd be like my brother's uh, my brother's a Navy SEAL it's like you don't have a fucking no your brother's <laughs> <laughs> you're a fucking liar yeah. you're a liar yeah. do you really need to find but lies to base the best, the best derailing heckle where you just get really honest no you like, don't you, you don't actually have a brother uh, but, what, but I think and, and, and what I think I what I love about Kirk's stand up now and what I respond to about it is that he just takes his time like that dude just yeah. takes his time on stage and is just like, yeah. Like uh, he's got his own, own unique, that, his own know? unique rhythms, and it's hard to believe that that's enough. And when when I did it with him, and like you go to New York, so we were at this club, and they were like, "Hey, you want to jump up because people aren't here, and it's the end of the night, and we, you can do twenty minutes if you want." Assuming because you're on a sitcom that you do right. you do stand up. <laughs> everybody, I'll probably call the same. Why'd you get up there? Why'd you get up there? Yeah. Sure, why not? Then, then these are uh, like, let's go to stand up. Let's go to this place or that place. And they're like, okay, you got to, uh, I can let you do a three, your three minute bit. Like, dude, <laughs> define three and five minute bit to someone who has no act or whatever. It's like, <laughs> like, it's incredibly insane. But people are that methodical in that early, the early stages are so brutal. Yeah. Of of stand up, but you know, I don't know how you guys do it. I I, I guess you have to learn so the much. rules to break them too. Like that's yeah. another kind of. Yeah, it's, I always think it's a genetic <laughs> defect. It's a, it's a weird thing. To, <laughs> it is. It's a weird. It's a weird thing to, you know, night after night, want to get up and try to make a group of strangers laugh, and then when it doesn't go well, and everything inside you is like. You what's, know, wow! I should. I don't. I don't. I, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. You still want right. to get up and do it again? I just think that's a weird genetic awesome. thing. What's weird to me a little bit, though, in the guys I respect a lot, even, is there at some point they almost look like they have to be like, I'm a professional weird comedy guy. Mm-hmm. I keep weird shit in my fridge. I go to bed at one <laughs> in the afternoon. That's my whole. I have all these rules, you know. And so I had a friend who was like a morning radio guy. And he met some of these guys who were really brilliant comics, who I think are brilliant. And he was like, I think they're brilliant. You know, I've always been big fans. And they and they were like, who are you? And like, what do you do? And I do this morning radio. And they're like, oh, hey, rock to You know, like, <laughs> they wouldn't let this guy be human. They were like, how's Rollvember radio? Oh, like, at some point, you're like, hey, dude, you know, I've always respected your comedy. You go, fuck yourself, man. Yeah. I'll take you to the parking lot right now. You know, because everybody becomes fodder for their weird comic universe that they... Right imposed upon you and you and you and you and you and then the whole yeah. touch of humanity's completely gone and if there's no heart there's no if there's no like wave of humanity that you're riding on and it's just that then it's it's empty too so yeah you know and i think that's the thing about like richard pryor these people that were so mind-numbing is that you knew that they had a huge heart the deeply aching soul that was very human and very real and not just super out there clever and you know um, you know, but 
<clears throat> who knows? I mean, it'll go it'll go back and forth, but um, it's an interesting universe you guys wander through. <laughs> and, I, and I feel the same. I feel the same about about you. I mean, like the few acting things I've done, it always it always feels very weird. Like. Because it really forces you to try to understand who you are as a person, and how you know to to be able to figure out like how 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 do I react? How would this react? I don't you know. Um, it's cool though too when you do it and you do figure certain things out, and it's completely counter to how they intended it in the script. But they're like, "Ooh, wow! I saw that there's a different truth to it from a different a lot of different angles." Yeah. And it's it's fun to start playing in there. And like the thing about Terriers was it was a world that we could actually really play, like think about those issues in. And as opposed to a lot of the jobs that we get as actors. So, you know, that you guys recognize it is a huge, um, it really means a lot to both Michael and myself, to everybody on the show. And, now how, just and, in, sort of in conclusion, how would you describe, like how do you describe the show to people when you're telling them like this is what the show is just so people, just so we can tell people on the show here? I think it's kind of a drama about two best friends who are in dire straits who would do anything for each other, like just take a bullet for each other, like in in and and they bust each other. They're kind of everything to each other, even if the women are in or out or whatever it is. And and it's like, it, it's kind of a um, it's kind of a buddy drama. You know, you know. And I can't use <clears throat> they used a Butch and Sundance or something like that. But to me, it's almost like Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, like and mm. this guy who's going to back your play, no matter what your play mm-hmm. is, whether you piss him off or not. And but it's about the, that emotional connection between, between people. And because the weird thing about TV is, you know, whatever. It could be like, you know, it can, it can either be Freaks and Geeks or Saved by the Bell. They take place in the same place. It's just mm-hmm. right. how effective is the writing and how effective is the, <laughs> right. uh, you know, how you know, you're pitching a high school thing or whatever. It's just how, how human are the players involved in understanding how people interact with each other. It just has a big heart that way. And what I love about it is that I think that poignancy, the humor combined with the with the drama is what has kind of tripped people out the most. I think um, those who are, <coughs> excuse me, really invested in the show. So, well, uh, just to let people know, Terriers, which we're a TVing, is on Wednesday nights on FX. And yeah. as the female in the room, I'm going to be the one who says, "Guys, there's something on it for everyone." <laughs> Which is disgusting, <laughs> but 100% accurate. It is kind yeah. of it's a hard, you know, it's a funky one, but it feels like there's but something But there on is. It for- you're going to respond to you're going to respond to the action when it happens or you're going to respond, you know, if 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 that's your thing, you're going cuz it's really hey, well done. Detectives. You're going to respond. Yeah, you're going to respond to as a woman, you're going to respond to the relationships if you're pigeonholing yourself yeah, and the into being a woman as mushy. You know, we that too and it's like the writers were good about that it's like men know we it's not like I don't know every time I talk to a girl I just get I don't have emotions in it I'm like god dude that's the worst most played out bullshit hey you know it's like you know how to talk to women okay That moment. And these guys have had sisters, they oh. got moms, they got shit, they can talk that, to women, that, and men and women can talk to each other. No, I'm just, there's a moment where you where you are talking to his girlfriend about an after issue she's having after happens. something happens, and that moment where you, you're seeing the pain, I am really just, you should not have brought me here because I have vomited compliments about this show the entire <laughs> time. No, but that's but what the we moment want. When, the moment when you, when you're, when you are feeling 
simultaneously you're feeling bad for her, you're feeling sympathy for her and empathy, you're feeling for your friend, yeah. you're feeling for yourself for being in this situation, because you're thinking is, about your own relationship and how life it Life is so that. messy. And what people don't Gorgeous. understand too, it's like this weird like Sandra, Sandra Bullock and Jesse James and this or Tiger Woods and you know like shows like this are not unlike life or your life with friends or something like dude, I fuck, I'm if my wife finds out this or whatever and why I don't know man she's perfect and I'm a piece of shit and I'm like what it is is there's self-sabotage or there's Tiger Woods it's like oh you're a billionaire you're 30 your dad's marched you out in front of like TV shows since you were two and now he's dead and now what do you do man and you've never been like a 15 year old being checked by your friends just another guy in the Circle K parking lot there's a million issues going on with people there's addiction there's this there's that there's self there's I feel sorry for you, but I gotta hold the line. And yeah. all these things go into play. And like when you do drama, that all has to play. Yeah. And, and I don't understand when people make it so clear cut. Well, that's what's <clears throat> great about I mean, that just kind of ties back uh, to what's going on in cable, which is I mean, I think in the extreme when it doesn't work or what's sort of easy to make fun of about a lot of cable now is that it's all about the the, the flawed hero. It's all about the anti-hero. It's all about this person is an asshole, but you still like him because he's the, the center of the show. Yeah. And and when it when it works, it's a lot more complicated than simple oversimplifying in that way. But it feels like the acknowledgement of that is so exciting and so invigorating. It's a really yeah. exciting time. It can be a really even exciting you, time in television. Even like, if you oh. like... Even if it isn't watched by many people or whatever, <laughs> if you if the one most cynical person in the world who's like, I've never seen it captured where it is those those things that really catch you off guard emotionally or whatever. And if you can win those people over and just be like, you're like, dude, I hate contrivance as much as you do. And on everything else that you're doing when you're walking into a contrived corner and you're like, we're walking into this red flag and they're like, don't worry about it. And then of course it comes out and you go, no. And when his character does this as if anyone would ever, and you're like, hey man, I was saying like, we're sticking our asses out to get kicked. I think the same way. Like as most people think critically in that regard, like to do it to where you're like, look, we would no, wouldn't maybe, maybe, or, or let's talk about it or it's, you know, and, and so I think what it does appeal to people who, who have a really kind of tough litmus test when it comes to like shows like this. And and you know, and other people don't want they don't really sometimes I don't want to think so much. <laughs> right. You know, whatever. Right. I feel fun. enough in my right. own per- you know, and it was and it's and it's partially true because I always have this fantasy that if you do stuff that really is like they don't even look like guys that you know, there was some weird thing where John Hamm was on the um he I was at the Emmys or something, he's all dressed up and slicked back and like someone I can't remember who it is, some kind of God bless him, Queenie dude on E or whatever. He's going, now that's what a television star's supposed to look like. (laughs) Glamorous? And you're like, you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) But so my thing would be like, oh, we kind of look like guys you might know, you know, like from your hometown or whatever. And people will really respond to that because they'll feel really, and they're like, no. (laughs) They really respond to like really impossibly good looking people <laughs> and then Sofia Vergara who I worked with on um, the Knights of Prosperity you know she had all she had access to all of Pablo Escobar's stuff in Colombia she's from Colombia and she had these tapes and all this I'm like you know what if they made in Colombia like a really gritty drama that was like really about this stuff but you guys made it and it was about the struggle and the guys you know they're they're brutal but they're also loving they build hospitals and she goes people poor people in places like Colombia want to watch Dynasty <laughs> uh, people don't want to watch yeah the people don't want to watch you know I can understand okay I get it you know 
People want to watch, you know, like Joan Collins in a gown. <laughs> I know I do. That um, woman is an true. impossible bitch. It's true, though, because of where we live, I just want to escape that all the time. And I don't want to see more Botox. And I don't want to see, you know, tinier and tinier yeah. women and buffed up men because I feel like, well, that's. I want all shows. That feels to be like, like work. That just feels like work. Yeah, every show. Every show I want to be on. Entourage channel. <laughs> Bunch of people I want to hang out with. Uh, well, thank you so much thank for you. being here, Donald. It's thank awesome. You. So, it, it, listen, I know we talked about this many times in this podcast, people, but fucking watch Terriers yeah. because it's an amazing show and it deserves to stay on because it's good. So, thank uh, you. Yeah. hopefully, yeah. hopefully people will hopefully people will watch in our our little uh, podcast audience. And it was a genuine pleasure to meet thanks, you after all this time. Likewise, and thank listeners, you for thanks out. for putting up with me because I really. Jennifer, should Jennifer, be here. Yeah. No, I really shouldn't be here, and, and I'm excited that I got to come here for the show. This is Matt Myra. That's Jonah Ray over there. This is the end of the Nerdist Podcast. You want to say it? No, it's all yours. It's your lot. You came up with it, though. No, but you always like to say it. Yeah, but you, it's your thing. Enjoy your burrito. Okay. <laughs> nice. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.